tonight, I think, is Yom HaShoah, beginning tonight, going down till tomorrow. So it is an opportune time to study a tshuva about Yom HaShoah. There was a great debate in Israel about the institution of Yom HaShoah, beginning already during the war, while the Holocaust was still ongoing, in 1942 or so. The debate continued on and off for the next decade or so, until Israel finally established Yom HaShoah. But throughout that period, there was considerable debate among the Rabbanim in Eretz Yisrael over whether that was a good idea or not a good idea. Rabbi Jacob J. Schechter wrote a lengthy and comprehensive summary of the whole, uh, the whole decade of discussion in tradition a while ago. He, he goes through all the different stages of the, of the, of the, of the debate, we're going to study tonight a tshuva. Much of this discussion did not actually take place in the responsa literature. It took place in other fora. But we're going to study tonight one of the few important major tshuvas written on the topic by the man who was eventually the chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Halevi Herzog. He was one of the outstanding Talmud Chachamim in Eretz Israel at the time, also university educated, although I don't know that that's relevant to uh, our discussion. He was certainly very traditional as a halachist, as a Talmudist, as a, again, he was a tremendous, outstanding Talmud Chacham, posek of that time. He was also, obviously, he, uh, he had broken with some of the traditional rabbinate. He had joined the Israeli rabbinate. He had joined the Israeli rabbinate. He had joined the State of Israel. He obviously had different ideas about the, about the state, about Zionism, than some of his more reactionary colleagues. Nevertheless, as we'll see, his tshuva tonight is a fairly traditional tshuva. The, the issues he raises, the, the, the modes of reasoning he uses, the values, the assumptions he has, are not really, by and large, distinguishable from traditional rabbanim, from charedim. So it, it is an interesting tshuva just to see how he approached the question and what his conclusion is. I'll, I'll tell you in advance, his conclusion is that he was more or less in favor of establishing a Holocaust, day of Holocaust remembrance, a, a day, a Yom HaShoah. Rabbi, Rabbi Jacob J. Schachter lists about ten or more different reasons why different, uh, different rabbinic figures were against Yom HaShoah, either the particular day of Yom HaShoah as established today in the end of Nisan by the Israeli government, or against Yom HaShoah in general, he has uh, a whole list of, uh, of, of different reasons. He says the Holocaust is not a unique event. It's, it's part of the general suffering of the Jews in Golos and history, so we should celebrate that on Tisha B'Av. Some say you shouldn't, the specific day in Nisan is not appropriate. We don't fast. We don't have, uh, we don't say Tachner in Nisan. We don't do Hesped in Nisan. Nisan is the wrong time. Yom HaShoah, not invented here. Yom HaShoah was invented by the secular Zionist Knesset. So we, we shouldn't uh, sign on to that. Yom HaShoah v'Hagvura, they, they celebrate fighting and fighting back and the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. That's, uh, some felt that was, uh, that's not the true Jewish attitude of heroism. We shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be lionizing that. Some, some didn't like the implied connection to Yom HaAtzma'ut, implying that the State of Israel, would, that the Holocaust was a necessary prelude to the State of Israel, and so on and so forth. Uh, there were a variety of reasons People objected to, to, uh, to Yom HaShoah. The Rav Herzog himself, in the tshuva we're going to see tonight, mentions three objections. 
his primary objection is a much more technical, much more halachic, much more, uh, much more traditional objection than these types of hashkafic and ideological arguments. His primary objection is a strictly halachic one. He fails it, he, he overcomes it, but that, that's the primary thrust of his tshuva. The brunt of his tshuva deals with a specific technical objection. He raises two other objections, which, uh, which we'll see his treatment of them as we go. So with that introduction, let's take a look at his tshuva. This is in his Sefer Heichal Yitzchak, collection of his tshuvas. The tshuva was written to Rabbi Chizkiah Yosef Mishkovsky, uh, a, a Polish rav. He was the grandfather of a, uh, another namesake, Rabbi Chizkiah Mishkovsky, who was a well-known figure in Haredi circles in more recent decades, a prominent mashkiach in the Haredi yeshivas. But this was the grandfather, Rabbi Chizkiah Yosef Mishkovsky, a Polish rav, leader of the Aguda, and he had been discussing the question of Yom HaShoah with Rav Herzog, and Rav Herzog wrote the following letter to him. So he says that uh, Rav Mishkovsky apparently was, uh, was interested in this, but, but, but had some concerns. So Rav Herzog refers to an earlier oral conversation they had, and... Rav Mishkovsky apparently had expressed certain reservations, had said that there's, that there's a potential problem here. So Rav Herzog says, you will remember that when you said there's a problem, I said that probably the problem you have in mind is not one of these hashkafic, political, ideological objections. Your issue is a halachic one. It is based on a responsum of the Mishkinos Yaakov. Mishkinos Yaakov was an important achron of a couple of centuries ago, two or three centuries ago. The, he was not discussing Yom HaShoah, he was not discussing holidays or fast days or calendrical issues at all. He was discussing something entirely different. He was discussing the famous Cherem of Rabbeinu Gershom. Rabbeinu Gershom, a thousand years ago, made a number of takanos, a number of edicts, which were often couched as haramim. They were backed by the, by the punishment, the threat of the ban, the anathema. But he made a, a variety of these takanos. Two of his most famous ones, the ones he's often known by, are his ban of polygamy. The Torah allows polygamy. He banned polygamy. And also he banned unilateral divorce. Midaraisa, man, is allowed to unilaterally divorce his wife. Rabbi Gershom decreed that divorce must be mutually consensual. Both parties have to agree. So there was a tradition in the medieval period. We don't have the original text of Rabbi Gershom's edicts. Even in the medieval period, they didn't have authoritative, reliable accounts of exactly what Rabbeinu Gershom had said. Only a century or two after he had lived, there was already some uh, obscurity about exactly what he had said. So there was a tradition, which some Rishonim attest to, that Rabbeinu Gershom's cherem had one of them, or both of them, had a sunset, particularly his ban against polygamy. That one, At least that one had a sunset clause, that he only enacted his ban until the end of the five thousandth, the end of five thousand years from creation. That would have been a couple of centuries or so after Ben Gershom lived. We're now in the year five thousand seven hundred eighty-one. Ben Gershom lived a thousand years ago, so about a thousand years ago. So if he made the so so if he made the Xera, if he made the Sakana until the end of the end of the, the end of five thousand years, that would have been several hundred years after he lived. But the point is, that according to some Rishonim, there was a sunset clause on his takan. Nobody knows exactly why. If Rabbeinu Gershom thought, nobody knows exactly why he made his edicts in the first place. 
and nobody knows why exactly why he would have made such a sunset clause. But the Mishkanes Yaakov has an intriguing theory. He says that even though it's true that Chazal made many takanos that are indefinite, that are permanent, we don't eat basar of pechalav, we don't eat chicken with milk, that's indefinite, there's no sunset clause on that. There are post-Talmudic takanos of all sorts that are indefinite, that have no sunset clause. Says the Mishkanes Yaakov, that's true, but that's only something which is a siyog Torah. There are different kinds of takanos. There are different kinds of edicts. The ones that are made in support of the Torah, like the various extensions of Basar B'chalav, were in support of the Torah's prohibition against not eating biblical Basar B'chalav. So a siyog can exist forever. A siyog doesn't need any sunset clause. But anything that Chazal made that's independent, that is not considered a siyog Torah, that's a standalone edict that they made for policy reasons, for their based on whatever considerations they had, if we can't connect it to a law in the Torah as a siyog for the Torah, Chazal have no power to institute it permanently. They have, to, they have to give it some kind of sunset, and that is based on a Ramban. The Ramban is in his commentary on the Torah in Parshas Vatschanan. That is where the Torah says there is a mitzvah of, uh, a losase, a biblical prohibition of Baltosif, lososifu, Hashem said, I'm giving you a perfect Torah. You shall neither add nor subtract, neither add to it nor subtract from it. Lo sosifu, lo sigru imenu. Lo sosifu alav, lo sigru imenu. Do not add to the Torah. Do not subtract from the Torah. Says there are, so there, there are many different explanations in the Rishonim about what does it mean you can't add to the Torah. We have all kinds of mitzvahs that are added to the Torah. Purim is added to the Torah. Hanukkah is added to the Torah. Not eating cheese with chicken is added to the Torah. Waiting six hours after meat is added to the Torah. There are endless, uh, half of Hilchah Shabbos are things that are added to the Torah. Half of Hilchah's Ribbis are things that are added to the Torah. So we add tons and tons of stuff to the Torah. So it's, what does the Torah mean? Lo sosifu, you can't add? So various, so the Rishonim, the Gemara, the Rishonim have struggled to identify, to define what exactly does it mean not to add to the Torah. So the Ramban says as follows. The Ramban, when he explains, when he gives different examples of what would be considered adding to the Torah, the Ramban says if someone adds a new mitzvah, for example, he adds a new holiday, he says, like Yeravah, that Yeravah moved, uh, moved holidays from one point to another in the calendar, but the Ramban says if someone invents a new holiday, that would violate Baltosef. Brings in support of this, brings the Gemara and Megillah. The Gemara says, Nevi'im never added to the Torah, even Osachas, except Mikra Megillah. Megillah is something that they added. My Darish. How can they add? They can't add. They have to have a drasha. So the Gemara Megillah brings Psukim that uh, Chazal found allusions to the idea of Megillah in the Torah. Brings similar idea in the Yerushalmi. A Navi is not allowed to add anything. A Navi will never add anything to the Torah. Mordechai and Esther wanted to add... Uh, Mordechai wanted to add Purim and Megillah to the Torah. Other Chacham of the time did not agree. They said, we can't add. You have no right to add things to the Torah. They had a whole debate about it until Hashem again, until they found basis for adding Purim to for adding Purim. They found Purim wasn't sui generis, so they they found that Purim had a uh, Purim had basis in, in, in Torah, and therefore was not considered uh, invention out of whole cloth. But in general, the Ramban says adding new Yom Tovim is Baltosif, whether it's by a Navi, whether it's by anybody else. So this is what the Ramban says that we can't add things to the Torah. In particular, we can't add holidays. That's what the Mishnah of Yaakov said. Anything that's not a siyog for the Torah, a siyog you can add. Anything that's not a siyog, like Hanukkah and Purim, they're not in support of any pre-existing Torah mitzvah. They're independent holidays. Such a thing, 
would in general be prohibited unless you either add a sunset clause, it's temporary, like Rabbeinu Gershom, or if you find a makar, if you find a source in Torah Shabbat So based on this Ramban, that's how Mishkanus Yaakov understood Rabbeinu Gershom and said that's why he couldn't simply institute a permanent takana, because he couldn't hang it on any earlier Torah source, and he couldn't say it was in support of an existing Torah law, and therefore he could not make it a permanent enactment. It had to be temporary. Says Rav Herzog, that was my initial thought. We have no right to establish a permanent Yom HaShoah because we have no right to add permanent holidays, permanent enactments to the Torah. Now at the end of his tshuva, Rav Herzog is going to argue that he actually does not think this is a real concern. But at the end of his tshuva, he says, insofar as, as this is a concern, we have a simple etzah. We can add a sunset clause to Yom HaShoah. He actually proposes this. He says, if you want to, we want to avoid any question of impropriety, we can add a sunset clause. We can say we are establishing, at that time they were actually discussing establishing a fast day. Uh, that, was when, uh, that was when people were tougher. They didn't just establish a day to have speeches and, uh, and ceremonies and moments of silence. Back then, Rav Herzog was traditional. Back then, they were talking about establishing an actual fast day. So Rav Herzog says, we can, uh, we can institute that we, we, are only, we are only establishing this day until either Mashiach comes, the redemption comes, or until the end of a pre-specified period, a fixed period, for example, until the year Tafshin Nun, that w- that's un- until, it's until the year Tafshin Nun, I'm not sure how we picked that year exactly, I, I it was about half a century. This was happening apparently in 1945. Tafshin Nun is 1990. So I'm not sure uh, how he got that number. But he says if we make a, a set period, then we will avoid any concern. Rabbeinu Gershom, it's not clear how long the set period can be. Rabbeinu Gershom, according to the Mishkanes Yaakov, made a Takana for several hundred years, and that was fine. So I don't know if there's any upper limit, if you say 500 years, 1,000 years. Is there any limit at all? I don't know. But the Herzog says, if you're really worried, we can always uh, we, we can always be extra. We can always go the extra mile and just add a sunset clause to our takana. But the, the bulk of his tshuva, Rav Herzog is trying to argue that it is not actually a concern that the Ramban is not an obstacle in the way of establishing Yom Hashoah. Why not? So the first part of Rav Herzog's tshuva is an analysis of the Ramban, an analysis of what he says about Purim how Purim would have been a problem. Rafertzak struggles greatly with the Ramban. He says, the Ramban, the Ramban says Purim was an issue until they found Psukim in the Torah to base it on. What about Hanukkah? Are there Psukim for Hanukkah as well? So Rafertzak has very, various problems with this entire approach of the Ramban that a Navi is not allowed to add, that Chachamim of Klal Yisrael not allowed to add new days, new commemorative days. He has a hard time with the Ramban especially with his arguments. And Yeravim also, he says, uh, Yeravim was doing much worse things than Baltosif. Yeravim was changing an existing Yom Tov. So that, that was a whole different story, he says. So the, the, the Ramban's specific proof text, his specific precedents about Yeravim, Yeravim ben Nevat, and about, about Purim, are not entirely compelling. It's not entirely clear, he says, how the Ramban understood those passages in the Talmud. Be that as it may, the Ramban is one of the towering halachic authorities, even though his commentary appear in his commentary to the Torah, not in his halachic, not in his more halachic works. Nevertheless, if the Ramban says something, we have to take it seriously. So, after spending the first page or so of the tshuva, which I, which I have omitted from the handout, but, but the, the first part of the tshuva, he discusses how we understand this Ramban. At the end of the day, this is what the, this is what the Ramban says. 
So for the rest of the tshuva, he works with the Ramban and tries to figure out whether, tries to, tries to show us that if we were to establish Yom HaShoah, it would not violate Baltosif, even the, even the Ramban's understanding of Baltosif. Says Rav Herzog, he says, let me ask you a question. Forget Hanukkah and Purim for a moment. He says, there are four other fast days. There are four fast days that are not in the Torah. The only fast day that's in the Torah itself, of course, is Yom Kippur. The Arbat they're mentioned in Navi, but there are four other fast days. They are, they are Shavasar B'Tamuz, Tisha B'Av, Tzom Gedalia, Sarabateves. They don't come from the Chumash. So how are they allowed to establish those? What happened to the Ramban? Baltosif, we can't establish new fast days. If we can't establish Yom HaShoah, how can we establish those fast days? So what are you going to tell me? Those were not the, the heretical Zionists. Those were the Nevi'im, the holy Nevi'im. Good, but the Ramban's whole point is a Navi can't establish anything either without, uh, with, without precedent in the Torah. So the, that's the whole point of the Ramban. Even Purim was a problem. So Nevi'im have no special dispensation. So how can they establish the, the earlier fast days? So you have to say, Rav Herzog says, you have to say one of two possibilities. We have to accept one of two, one of two theses. Either we have to say that they were implicitly temporary, that we're not going to have the fast days when Mashiach comes, that the, the, that the Isra of Baltosif is only establishing a mitzvah that is so permanent that we intend it to remain in force even, even in the, the end times, even when Mashiach comes, and the fast days were implicitly only, only instituted to, to be kept as long as Klai Yisrael's and Golis, or as long as, at least as long as the final redemption hasn't, hasn't occurred yet. That's one possibility. And if so, that of course applies to Yom HaShoah as well. He says that even if we don't... Uh, even if we don't explicitly stipulate that, the, that, that, that it should have a sunset, obviously, if we're, we're establishing Yom HaShoah, it's only until the redemption, just like when they established the, the other fast days, they're only until the redemption. That's one possibility, he says. The second possibility, how the, how the prophets could establish the four fast days, he says, is that they are a siyag, they are related to mitzvahs. They're not independent entities. What are the fast days? Tshuva. Fast is all about tshuva, as, as the Gemara famously says about, uh, about Ninveh. It says that they, 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 all, they all fasted and wore sackcloth, and it says that Hashem saw their tshuva. Doesn't, it says he didn't say he saw the fasting, he didn't say he saw the, the sackcloth. This is a uh, central, central theological point the Talmud and the later authorities make about fasting. Fasting is an aid to tshuva, but it's not an end of itself. It's not an end in and of itself. It's, it's an aid to tshuva. So, of course, it's like a siyag for tshuva. It's just a particular mode of uh, this particular mode of, of engendering reflection and cheshbron and nefesh and tshuva. So it is related to mitzvahs in the Torah. The Ramban famously says that in Masechus Tanis, that, 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 it's, that it's not, don't think the fasting is the, is the iker, the tshuva is the iker. If so, it's only hesorus for tshuva, he says, and that as well, that applies to, the, to Yom HaShoah as well. We're not instituting it as an end in and of itself. Uh, we don't believe that wallowing in grief in and of itself is, a, uh, is an end in and of itself. We're doing it to promote tshuva, introspection, to come closer to Hashem, and so on. Rafertzak is very from. He, he's, he has all the traditional ideas about why, about, why we're, about why we're commemorating a tragedy and why we're fasting and so on. So Manavshaki says, whatever the reason, whatever the reason, whatever the justification of the Nevi'im was, for instituting Yom HaShoah, the same justification applies to us as well. The same way they weren't worried about Baltosif, we don't have to worry about Baltosif either. They were Nevi'im, it's true, but a Navi can't innovate things either. A Navi is also bound to respect the integrity of Taras Moshe. He has no right to add to Taras Moshe. 
So the Nevi'im also had to have reasons. Either the reason was that it was temporary, or the reason was that it's simply related to tshuva, it's not a new mitzvah in and of itself. Either of those two rationales for the other fast days on our calendar could, apl- could, e- could apply equally, do apply equally, to a potential Yom HaShoah. Now Rav Herzog goes on, and he approaches the same question, he approaches the question from another angle. And this is something, the point he's about to make, is something that also refutes many of the other arguments that are made against Yom HaShoah as well. He says, forget all the theology for the moment, forget the technical question of, forget the technical question of Baltosif and halachic arguments, he says, we have traditional precedent. As a matter of lived Judaism, Klal Yisrael did establish, even after the four fast days of the Nevi'im, Klal Yisrael, post-Talmudic times, did establish other fast days. Example, Chaf Sivan. The 20th day of Sivan was established, actually was established twice as a fast day. It was established in the medieval period, due to troubles the Jews experienced during the medieval period. That was kind of forgotten, and it was established again in the 17th century, in the aftermath of Tachvetat, the, the Chmielnitsky uprisings, the, the, the terrible massacres of Jews in the Ukraine and, uh, in the year 1648, 1649, we call it Tachvetat. So the, the, the Vad Arba Ratzos, a major Jewish governing council of the time, they instituted a fast day of Chafsivan. This was something that was widely observed in Poland and uh, in, in much of uh, Ashkenazi Jewry for centuries. They made, a, they made Chafsivan. They weren't worried about Baltosif. So, he said, we, we find, referred like mentions the earlier institution during the Crusades. The, the Chafsivan was already established in the time of the Crusades. We have testimony from earlier sources about that, but it apparently was forgotten. It was established again in, in the Crusades, in the, in, the Tachvetat, in the aftermath of Tachvetat, throughout Poland. The Shach was, uh, the Shach was involved, and the Shach gave his approbation to this Takana. So you see that uh, this is perfectly legitimate to establish a day of mourning, to commemorate tragedies. Says Rav Herzog, maybe we can say that that was not established for all of Klai Yisrael. Baltosif maybe is only if you establish something that is completely national, but something that's regional, that's sectarian, that's only for one group, for, for one region, maybe that's not as bad as the, as the case of the Ramban. The, however he says, the Ramban is not mashma like that, the Ramban is mashma that even... For an individual, you're not allowed to make a new mitzvah. Making a new mitzvah is a problem, he says. Furthermore, the Mishkanas Yaakov, he says, certainly doesn't, doesn't, doesn't accept this, he says, because the Mishkanas Yaakov says that Rebbein Gershom had to sunset his takana. Rebbein Gershom's takana was not universal. It was never accepted by much of Klai Yisrael. Never accept, it was not accepted by the Sfardim, and so on, many Sfardim. So Rebbein Gershom's takana was also not universal. And still, according to the Mishkanas Yaakov, you have to have a sunset clause. So you see that it doesn't matter if the Takana in question is national or regional. Either way, it would be a problem of Baltosif. And Al-Karchach, we have to say one of two things, that the, that the Tanios, uh, that the Chafsivan, like the Tanios of the Nevi'im, have to be justified by, as we said before, there has to be some justification, maybe because it's a Siog for Tshuva, maybe because they're not permanent. But whatever it is, he says, we have both the Takanos of the Nevi'im, we have the later Takanos of Chafsivan as well, and therefore, if Herzog says, it is clear from these precedents that whatever the Ramban means, whatever the, the merit of the Ramban's position is, it does, not, uh, it does not rule out the possibility of establishing commemorative fast days. Now, if Herzog brings, he says, he looked in the Minchas Chinuch, 
And he says that the Rishonim didn't really discuss this type of question about adding a new day, a new fast day, a new commemorative day. Rishonim didn't discuss this in the context of Baltosif. Says Rav Herzog, Pella. It's, uh, it's striking, he says, that Menchaschenoch seems to have overlooked this Ramban. But in any event, Menchaschenoch goes on and says, Kol Yachid, any individual, is allowed to establish for himself a, a commemorative day during the year. See, he's talking about, uh, he's talking about commemorating, something, commemorating something positive, to commemorate a, a nace or something, something good. He brings other examples of this, he says. We find, in, uh, we find other discussions. One of the examples he brings is the Chayadim. The, the Chayadim talks about a personal day of, uh, a personal Purim-style day, a personal day of Thanksgiving that he instituted for himself and his family because of a great nace, a great salvation that befell him. There was apparently a terrible gunpowder explosion or fire where there was a great deal of property damage and people were injured, but his fam- no, no one in his family were killed. And out of great uh, gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he established a day, he gives the, the ceremonies, they would have a suda, and they would say certain, certain, certain procurement to Hillam, and so on. And furthermore, I've heard Suggs says, the descendants of the Tosas Yantif, of Yantif Lipman Heller, they also have such a tradition that they have uh, a family day of commemoration. So we see... We, we've covered this in the past as well. We, we, we studied a while back the tshuva of the, of, of the, tshuva of the Maram al-Sheikh, I think it was, or the Maram al-Ashkar, about, the, about, the, about commemorative days. It was a tshuva of the Maram al-Ashkar, about a community that wanted to establish a, a certain day, a Purim for themselves. Some, some people said you can't do that. He said, yes, you can. And uh, there's a well-established tradition of doing this, both establishing days of positive commemoration, commemoration of Nisim, of good things that happened, both in terms of commemorating bad things that happened, the Arbatanios of the Nevi'im, and the Chafsivan of the Rishonim and Achronim. So Rav Herzog says, you see, even though the Ramban fails, that even Purim had to, be, had to be specially justified, the fact is there are numerous other examples of, of holidays and fast days and days of mourning that were established in the town, that in earlier times, in later times, in relatively recent times, most of which do not have any source in, in, in Chumash itself. And nevertheless, you see, you're allowed to do it. And the two Hezbeirim he gives are either, he pre-gives, I guess, three Hezbeirim, either that a local one is not a problem of Baltosif, or that one that's not permanent, that's inherently only until, Mash- that's implicitly only until Mashiach comes, that's okay. Or that days which have to do with tshuva, like fast days, it doesn't work for the, for the positive days, but days that have to do with tshuva are considered a siyog for, the, for a mitzvah, and therefore it is not a, uh, therefore it's not a problem. And furthermore, he points out, this whole problem is starting from the Ramban as amplified upon by the Mishkanos Yaakov. The Ramban says that adding commemorative days is baltosif. The Mishkanos Yaakov says that's why Rabbi Gershom had to sunset his takana, his ban of polygamy. But the Mishkan Yaakov himself points out a fatal flaw in his idea, which is that most poskim don't accept that Rabbi Gershom's Takana was sunsetted. Most poskim say there's no such thing. The Rabbi Gershom, many, many of the early sources don't record any such sunset. The source is the Jewish Arashba. The Rashba says he heard that there was a sunset clause in Rabbi Gershom's Takana. People have pointed out the irony. The Rashba came from Svarad, from, Bar- from Barcelona. He was not actually among the Ashkenazim, the ones who were the primary, the primary intellectual spiritual heirs of Rabbeinu, of Rabbeinu Gershom, so it's not even clear how reliable his tradition is. The Rashba, of course, is a posik of towering stature, but other Rishonim don't record the sunset clause. 
So according to all those Rishonim who say that there is no sunset clause, so we have a contradiction to the Ramban. We, we, now Rabbi Gershom did make it that kind of that was forever. What happened to Baltosif? So the truth is, Rav Herzog said, that's not really a stira. Because once again, Rabbi Gershom's Takana was a Siag Torah. He does not explain how. He doesn't really explain how. There actually is some, some very interesting debate about why Rabbi Gershom made his Takana against, uh, against polygamy. The most obvious answer, which is likely the, the, the correct one, is that the Rabbi Gershom saw that women were being taken advantage of by, by allowing men to... Uh, to, by, by, but continuing the older model of marriage was uh, men could no longer be trusted, men were not behaving properly, and therefore it was meant to protect the women from abusive conduct by men. So, I'm sorry? I have a question for you. Yes. So, we've been talking about difficulty of imposing new traditions, but it seems to me that if you look at the Tehillim, um, Asherah Ashra is full of being... Uh, we are required to remember each, gener- each generation shall praise you these to the next. The splendid glory of your power and your wondrous trees I shall discuss. You know, of your power I, they will speak. The Holocaust certainly is an example of that. And there are many others throughout our history. We, we re- revel in how Hashem has been present and continues to save us. So I don't understand this idea that we need uh, to, 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 to scrounge around for rationale when we're, we're told, keep looking, because it's all around you. Right. So Max is pointing out that, uh, that our relationship to Hashem in, in tefillah and in other formats is, not, is, certainly, not, is certainly not static. We, we certainly incorporate into our liturgy, into our personal and communal life, we certainly incorporate things that happen uh, over the years. So I think that the critical question, though, is that you can certainly do it on an informal basis. A person can certainly have, uh, have an evening of speeches, and a person can do a project about it, and, can, and we even add Kinos and Tishabov about it. There was some controversy about that as well. well. We'll touch on that maybe a little bit later. But that was less controversial. Adding Holocaust Kinos is, is widely accepted, not universally, but widely accepted. So doing things that don't have a, a, a formal halachic weight, that, that are not the kind of a, 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 a formal full-blown takana are not such a problem. The problem becomes once we start instituting actual days that, that, that are going to be defined in, in halacha and uh, in, in Jewish ritual as a, as a concrete takana, that's where it's more of a problem. Everyone agrees we have to praise Hashem for all the chesed that He does for us, and everyone agrees that we have to, we have to mourn tragedy, and, we have to, uh, and that's why Hashem sends tragedy, the Rambam and Chazal explain. But yes, you're, but, you're, but your basic point is right, and to a certain extent, that's what Herzog is saying as well. He's saying that we have all these precedents of the Chayadim Spurim and the Chafsivan, and certainly on earlier ones, and that, that, to a large extent, that's the point he's making. But the, the particular Chiddush he's making is that it's not just about informal acknowledgement of uh, personal, informal acknowledgement of, of the things Hashem does for us, and, uh, and, and, and acceptance of the things he does uh, against us. It's also, we can actually have a formal takana, we can actually make a formal day, uh, a formal institution, and even that, Rav Herzog is trying to argue, is legitimate under our and under halacha. So Rav Herzog goes on, and he says that, so yeah, so we were discussing why Rabbi Nagashim's takana was a siyag Torah. Certainly, uh, preventing men from abusing women is understandable that that is a form of a siyag Torah. There are other reasons given for why Rabbeinu Gershom did what he did. So Rav Herzog doesn't really explain, but he just takes for granted that whatever, whatever Rabbeinu Gershom was doing was certainly, he says, we, we can certainly assume it was a siyag Torah. The fast days as well, we, we explained earlier, is a siyag for the Torah. Uh, 
it'll be a chizuk l'tara v'lemuna, and that applies for Efer Yom HaShoah as well, because uh, it, it'll cause tshuva, he says, and therefore he says that, uh, and, and the others far as well, even if we don't explicitly include a sunset clause, it's implicit, because all the fast days will, will turn into days of joy and rejoicing, and, uh, and therefore we don't have to worry about the, we don't have to worry about the, the concerns of the Ramban, even if we assume that the Ramban is normative halacha, that we can't make new institutions, that does not apply to fast days, to Yom HaShoah in particular, for the various reasons that we have said, and that he reiterates once again, that is the Iker, that since it is la'or l'tshuva, to inspire tshuva, he quotes the Rambam, the Rambam says that's the whole point of the fast days, we commemorate fast days not just uh, out of some secular notion of remembrance, we commemorate fast days, to inspire tshuva. The fast day is supposed to be a zikaron, a commemoration of what? Not just of the raw fact of the tragedy, but to our, our evil acts, and that the evil acts of our predecessors, our ancestors, which were like our evil acts today, and that's what caused the tzara, and that's why we, and, and, and that's why we, they experienced the tzara. And by remembering all this, we should do tshuva, he says. That's the whole point of all this. So certainly a fast day is a uh, perfectly understandable form of a siyag. Referta goes on that if, if that's true for other tragedies that were commemorated by fast days, certainly that is, that, that is true for the unparalleled destruction of the Holocaust, from the time of the temple, there has been no such, uh, no such tragedy to befall Klai Yisrael as the Holocaust. We certainly have to do tshuva, he says, for that korban, and, uh, and so on, and therefore, it is fine. And now he adds the line I mentioned all the way at the beginning. Those who are still concerned, he says, we can always uh, use explicit language that says this is not permanent, it's only till whichever comes first, the coming of Mashiach, or a specific time, for example, Tafshin Nun, if, uh, and then we'll, we'll certainly be, uh, we'll certainly, we'll certainly be Yotzeh L'chaladeus. Now, Rav Herzog deals, in the last lines of the tshuva, he deals briefly with one last concern. He says, someone raised another objection, which Rav Herzog thinks is, uh, is, is worthy of serious consideration. He says, the war is not even over, it was still 1945, the war has not yet concluded. Who knows, he says, maybe these terrible troubles are the Hevlin Mashiach. We're told traditionally that in the time of Mashiach, things will be very turbulent before Mashiach comes. So it's, it's, the, it, it's like, the, like the pangs of a woman in labor. The, 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 the night is darkest before the dawn. There's going to be some terrible, terrible troubles before Mashiach. So maybe this is Hevel Mashiach. Maybe Mashiach will come soon, he says. Therefore, he referred to success that this person suggested we should perhaps push off a final decision about Yom HaShoah until after the war. Referred to is uh, quite struck by this. He says... This is a persuasive argument, he says. This is something I think we should seriously consider. Unfortunately, of course, as we know, Mashiach did not come in the years after World War II, and, the, and that's why this last objection fell away, and certainly Rav Herzog then would have been, would have been uh, was willing to institute Yom HaShoah. There is one final part of this tshuva, which appears in a footnote. A, literally a footnote uh, on the bottom of the page, a note under, the, under a line. He says, someone pointed out to him, this someone actually was the Briskarov, as Rabbi Jacob J. Schachter points out in his article, someone said to me, he says, another objection to instituting Yom HaShoah, 
In one of the kinas of Tishabov, the kina that begins Mi Tain Roshi Mayim, one of the kinas written about the Crusades or about one of the other tragedies of the medieval period. So the text of that kina is the the, the author is 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 uh, lamenting the terrible things that happened to the Jewish community of his time. He says, we really need to have mispaid mar, a bitter eulogy of all the terrible things. He says that the destruction that occurred in his time, the, the deaths of the Jewish people, the destruction of Jewish communities, he, I don't know if this is hyperbole or he literally meant this, but he says, Kishkula the, the, their, their murder was equal, was equal to the burning of the Holy Temple. However, why don't we, so should we establish a, a special day of mourning to commemorate this thing? He says no. He says, Because we cannot add a, uh, a day, a, a, a calendrical day, to commemorate other tragedies. We're not going to make a new day. We're just going to push it back. Therefore, he says, we're going to commemorate it on Tishabov. And that's what he says. He says that really this is, this is, he says this is equal to the tragedy of the Horban, of the destruction of the temple. However, our policy is we don't establish new days, and therefore we are going to commemorate the destruction as we still do. As we still do, 700 years later, we still commemorate those tragedies on Tisha B'av and several kinos that commemorate the Crusades and other tragedies that happened to the Jewish people in the medieval period. So the Briskorov held that based on this kina, this was, the, this was a compelling objection to Yom HaShoah, just as the rabbinic authors of the Crusades, even though they felt this was an unparalleled tragedy since the Chorban, this was the, there was nothing like this they felt. Nevertheless, we cannot establish a new day of, of mourning. Therefore, the Briskorov said, so too we cannot establish a new day of mourning for the Holocaust. So Rav Herzog mentions this argument, and he uh, disagrees. He says he does not find this argument compelling. He says that that he says that that's not what the that's not what the the, the Python meant. That's not what the author of the Kina meant. He says he says earlier the, the earlier the author is lamenting the burning of the Torah and the murder of the students of the Torah. It happened on Shavuos, beyom shenitn about Torah. The day the Torah was given, Hashem sort of took it back by, by having the Torah burned and having the Tomidacham killed. And that's what the Python means. He says that we don't add a new day, meaning that we, don't, that, 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 that we can't establish a day of mourning on Shavuos, which is when that event occurred. And to make it earlier, Lahachtim, he says, to make it earlier before Yom Tov, we can't do, because we have a principle that, uh, that we don't make fast days earlier, we make them later. El we make it afterward. Therefore, therefore, they establish this day, which he understands to, apparently to be a reference to Chaf Sivan, to push it after Shavuos rather than before. So according to him, on the contrary, he's not referring to Tisha B'av. They, he, he doesn't mean what I said earlier, that they decided to commemorate it the way we do today, by reading the Kina of Mi'yitein Roshi Mayim on Tisha B'av. He means this was a reference to the, to the medieval establishment, the first establishment of Chaf Sivan, they didn't want to make it before Shavuos, they made it after Shavuos, they made it on Chav Sivan, and, uh, and that was the day that was later, uh, that was later re, uh, reinstituted as a, as, a, as a fast day in the years of Takvatat in the, in the 17th century. So according to Rav Herzog, that's not what the, the author of the Kina meant at all. There's no such principle that we don't establish new days. Once again, Rav Herzog's point is, how can you say we don't establish new days? It's simply not true. 
Jews throughout history did establish new days. They established Chafzivan. So the Rafferzak dismisses the dismisses this reading of the Kina, and and therefore, the, so that the primary tshuva, the almost almost all the tshuva deals with the technical argument about Baltosif, which he argues is not a problem because it's a siyag and because it's implicitly or even explicitly temporary. At the very end, he concedes that we should wait till the end of the war to see if Mashiach will come. And this other argument that we don't establish new days. Rafferzak dismisses, it's not what the Kina means, and his primary, his primary argument seems to be that it's just not true, that, that other Jewish communities did establish new days. You know, other, other, others have pointed out that it's hard to establish a halachic doctrine from, from poetic language in the Kina. We're not, not even necessarily clear who the author is. It's a, this is not exactly a, a Sif and Shulchan Aruch to establish new rules from. So Herzog, again, was not impressed with this argument to the Briskarov, and his only issue is, his, his only real issue, besides waiting to the end of the war, is Baltosif, which he argues at length uh, is not actually an issue. Now, Ramosha Feinstein also has a tshuva, in Igris Moshe, Ramosha Feinstein also has a tshuva, written later, dealing with this, uh, with, with this question of establishing a, uh, with, with establishing a Yom HaShoah. So Ramosha Ramosha is assuming that nothing was done. I mean, Israel, they did do something, but Ramosha is assuming that at least among the Anche Shlomenu, at least among the traditional Orthodox, they, 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 they never accepted upon themselves, in the U.S. at least, Yom HaShoah as a, as a halachic day. Ramosha wants to know why not. So Ramosha does accept the... So, so, so Ramosha does accept the, the idea that that we, that we don't establish new days. He says that when, when it comes to all the kinos, the, the Xeris Tatnu, the first crusade in, in, in 1096, and other days he says that the, they, they didn't establish new days. He says, Mefurish. It's Mefurish, he says, that the, the kinos on Tisha like the Briskarov says, it's explicit. The reason they didn't establish a new day, he doesn't understand Rav Herzog's alternate reading. He learns, like the Briskarov, that the Kina's telling us the reason they didn't establish days to commemorate the terrible tragedies of the Crusades and so on is because we commemorate all that on Tisha B'Av. We don't establish new days, and everything is on Tisha B'Av. And the Holocaust as well. Now Ramosha says, what about Rav Herzog's argument? What about the argument that we find that Chaf Sivan was established? Tach v'tat al Chmelnitsky, Rosha Kozakin, the Kozaks that they killed in Ukraine and parts of Poland, he says. They, they massacred uh, tremendous numbers of Jews. And they did establish a fast day of Chaf Sivan, and they established Lichas. So what happened to that? that? That would seem to be a conclusive refutation of this rule that we don't establish new fast days, new, new, new commemorative days of tragedy. That's an explicit counterexample. Nobody's going to challenge the authority of the Shach and the Vad Arba Ratzos these were, uh, these, were venerable, these were venerable institutions and people who established these days. So nobody can disagree with that. So, so how, does, how can that be reconciled with this uh, ostensible principle that we don't establish new days? So Ramosha says something very interesting. Ramosha says something very, uh, very, very innovative. He says that any day, any, any trouble that was visited upon the Jews by the establishment, by, the, by governments, he says, state-sanctioned genocide and murder and pogroms and so on, all of that belongs to Golos, he says, all of that is part of Golos, all of that goes back to the Chorban, all of that telescopes into Tishabov, and that's why 
those types of things, most tragedies that happened to Claudius Yisrael, the Crusades, which were often supported by the, the aristocracy, by the leadership, all these types of tsaras, he says, those belong on Tishabav because that's all related to Gullus, because our, uh, our host countries were involved, and therefore all that is limited, all that is moved to Tishabav. He says the Xer of Tachvatat was unique. He says the Xer of Tachvatat was not by the, by the government, he says. It was by rebels. It was by the Kazakhs who were rebelling against the government. He says, that's, not, that's nothing to do with Gullus. He says, on the contrary, he says it was the, the establishment, the government was unsupportive, was on the side of the Jews. Historically, that's actually why the Jews bore the brunt of the, why the Jews bore so much of the, of, of the massacre. The, the, the Jews were, there was certainly anti-Semitism involved, but the, the, the Kazakh rebellion was primarily a socio-economic rebellion. It was the Kazakhs who felt themselves oppressed, were rebelling against their overlords, and the Jews were seen as, uh, as allies of the establishment, and, and that's why they were rebelling. So the government actually was on the side of the Jews, and it was the, the Kazakh murderers were not the establishment, they were anti-establishment figures. Says Ramosha, that historical context is crucial. It is precisely because the, 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 that particular, those particular massacres of Jews were unique. They were not by the establishment. Therefore, they are not part of Gullus. Gullus is only, Gullus is only those things that were perpetrated by, by, the, by, by the... It has to do with Gullus. Also, he says, and the fact that we're in Gullus, we were punished by this as well, but it's not really the, the primary uh, punishment of Gullus. Therefore, those things, those massacres got their own day, the day of Chavsivan. However, he says, Gzeras Hitler, Hayuah Klai Yisrael, he, he himself, he was the sovereign power, he was the, he was the dictator, he was conquering all the places where Jews lived. Wherever he conquered, he killed Jews, he says. So again, the, when, when a rebellion succeeds, they become the new establishment. But Hitler, he says, it's, he was conquering, but he was a power, he was the government. Wherever he was, he was in charge. That's different from rebels who are anti-establishment, he says. Hitler wanted to conquer the whole world, he says, and, and so on. And that's Xera, that's on, on all of Klai Yisrael, and that's connected to the Chorban, he says. And therefore, that is something that, is something that should be commemorated on Tisha So Ramosha Feinstein was, uh, adopted the same position with this additional twist of the Briskarov that, the, that the, the correct Jewish attitude is that we don't, establish, we don't establish new commemorative days of mourning and of fasting for most types of tragedy. Most types of tragedies in Gullus are associated with the Gullus, and therefore we already have a day. That day is Tishabav. Chafsivan was a special exception because of the unique nature of that particular historical episode. But Rav Herzog, as we said, Rav Herzog rejected all this. Rav Herzog, said, Rav Herzog says that Chafsivan is a conclusive proof that there was no objection to establishing new days, and that the Ramban's Baltosif is not a concern. And even the Kina, the Kina can be reinterpreted to mean that they didn't want to establish Chafsivan on Shavuos, and they didn't want to make it earlier than Shavuos, so they made it later, they made it on Chafsivan. But there is, in general, Rav Herzog says, no objection whatsoever to establishing new days of mourning, of commemoration of the various tragedies that befell Klal Yisrael in Gulfs. May we, may, may we soon merit the coming of Mashiach, and where Rav Herzog agrees that we will no longer be observing Yom HaShoah. Yes? Rabbi, a question. Um, you had mentioned that uh, Rav Herzog viewed Yom HaShoah as a day for, uh, for fasting and uh, teshuvah. But um, we, often, uh, we often hear uh, the notion that, that, that uh, to say that the Holocaust was a punishment for our sins... 
is an offensive, even obscene uh, notion. So if that's your position, it would be very hard, I would imagine, to view that day as a day of, uh, as a day of teshuva. I noticed that uh, Rav Moshe refer- refers to, uh, you know, the Holocaust, and you know, Hitler killed 600 million Jews, but Avonaseinu harabim. What was what was Rav Herzog's uh, view of that? So that that's a very interesting question. Lewis is raising the question of the the, the modern perspective in, in many circles is that we are, is, is that is that we are people are reluctant to 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 interpret tragedies, certainly tragedies as monstrous as the Holocaust, involving many pious Jews by all accounts, involving children and infants and so on. That it is uh, it, it is morally abhorrent to attribute this kind of thing to sin. So that is not actually the traditional view. The, the traditional view has historically been to, exactly as Rambam says, is to attribute, is to attribute the, is, is definitely to attribute the, the tragedies that befall us to sin. There, with, with regard to the Holocaust specifically, I, I gave a share on this once, uh, one of my parashas here, we, we discussed this question of whether, of, uh, of attributing tragedy up to and including the Holocaust to, uh, to, to sin. And there were many Gedolei Yisrael, even, even, with regard, even with respect to the Holocaust, who did, uh, who, who, were, who were entirely willing to, um, to who, who, were, who were entirely willing to, you know, to, to attribute the Holocaust to sins. Ravad Yosef got in trouble for, Ravad Yosef I think said it had to do with Gilgulim and reincarnation, that the souls of the people were being punished for earlier sins. He would, there was promptly a firestorm in Israel about that. There was um, there was uh, Rev. Victor Miller um, again. Rev. Victor Miller was another very outspoken uh, outspoken uh, Jewish thinker. He would frequently he would frequently attribute the Holocaust to uh, various sins that he felt Klal Yisrael was guilty of. Here, I I, I have some of the quotes here. Um, I have some of the quotes. Rav Rav Yosef said that. Rabbi Yosef said that six million Jews who perished in the Holocaust died because they were reincarnations of sinners, and he was uh, promptly started a firestorm. That particular quote is from a New York Times article. The controversy was great enough that it made it into uh, made it into the New York Times. Rabbi Victor Miller, in numerous in numerous contexts, used to uh, used to say. Um, that he, he says the Jewish imitators of Gentile ways attributed the destruction of the six million to the failure to fight back or to the failure to plan ahead, that God planned the destruction in order to wipe out the sinful tendencies of European Jewry in accordance with the prophecies of the scriptures did not occur to these misinterpreters, that the worst defection from the Torah since the beginning of our nation's history had taken place in Europe and was therefore visited by the greatest retribution in history was not mentioned by any of the writers. Rob Miller certainly was a controversial thinker in some, of his, in some ways, and this is, I guess, an example I, to me, was one thing that was particularly interesting was was Rav Rav Chaim Grzanski, who didn't really live through the Holocaust, but writing at the beginning at the beginning of uh, of World War II, Rav Chaim Ozer, one of the one of the surely one of the wisest uh, Torah leaders of the 20th century, traditional but certainly one of the most insightful and uh, historically aware, he writes that. From the time of the of the Chorban, even in the medieval period, there was never such a thing. He, he saw only the beginning. He saw the beginning of the Holocaust. He wrote Kala Gola Kimaduras Esh. The whole Golos is, this is I think, right after Kristallnacht, or right after some of the early uh, ominous warning signs of the 
of the German uh, of the German depredations. Batei Midrashos, Sifrei Torah, Nisrafen, Barosh Kalchutzos, Torahs are being burned. Later, human beings were going to be burned. But in the meantime, it was uh, Torahs and threats. He says, new, new Xeras are happening every day. So he writes that the... He writes, that, he, he writes something very interesting. He writes that in the medieval period, in the time of uh, Tachvatat, he says, then the people had great Amuna. He says, now, Bavansenu Harabim, again, in that language, Bavansenu Harabim, he says, Amuna is weak. And particularly, he says, Ba'artzos Amarov. In Western Europe, he says... U.S., but Western Europe, he says, the reform has begun, uh, begun taking root uh, several generations ago, he says, and, men, and reform has caused assimilation and uh, intermarriage and so on. And he says, and we sham and that's where the, the trouble is coming from Germany, from Western Europe, he says, to, uh, to pursue us, he says, he didn't even see what, what actually happened in the Holocaust, but... Uh, he said uh, the poison of anti-Semitism is, is spreading from Germany. I mean, the Poles, the Ukrainians had plenty of anti-Semitism of their own. They didn't need to borrow from the Germans. But uh, Germans certainly were the symbol of anti-Semitism in the world. He says, and still he says, still, Rav Chaim Moser says, still people don't realize, Ladas Mazev, Al Mazen, or Dafnu Kacha, Hukaha and people are still blind, people still cannot realize, he says, what the problem is. Again, it's impossible to know what Rav Chaim Ozer would have said five years later had he, had he lived long enough to actually see what happened in the Holocaust. But uh, at, at the very beginning, at the, at the very uh, twilight of World War II, Rav, Rav Chaim Ozer was blaming problems of reform and assimilation for... Uh, again, is that a satisfactory explanation for the Holocaust? Obviously not. But, uh, but, but the idea that in terms of our, in terms of our responsibility... The, the, people like people like Rav Chaim Ozer were, were still willing to, at least at least then, were still willing to continue in the traditional pattern of trying to uh, trying to do a cheshbon nefesh and find sin. There were those who disagreed, even among traditional thinkers. So, one of the most prominent, I think, according to my notes here, was Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rav Menachem Mendel Schneerson. He writes, in our own time, the destruction of six million Jews. The likes of which never was, never was, and never will be. May Hashem have Rahmanas on us throughout the generations and was never seen. Cannot be considered a matter of punishment for transgressions. He says, he says unequivocally, we cannot consider the Holocaust a matter of punishment. Even the Satan himself could not configure a calculus of transgressions for that generation, which would justify a punishment so severe. No rational explanation, no elucidation. So I, I was before saying this was a modern perspective, but it was a modern perspective that was shared certainly by some traditional thinkers as well, such as, uh, such as the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So at the end of the day, the, the, the specific question of what Rav Herzog believed, I, I admit that I am not sufficiently familiar with his thought and all his writings to know whether he uh, ever went on record as uh, saying that the Holocaust did occur because of sins or did not occur because of sins, but, but your point is, is, is very well taken. It's an insightful point that the fact that Rav Herzog keeps saying that Yom HaShoah is going to be about tshuva so, again, many uh, moderate thinkers have said that it's inappropriate to point to specific sins and, and to concretely say it's because of X and because of Y and because of Z, but certainly many thinkers say that we're supposed to take, like, like the Rambam says, we're supposed to take Tzara as, as an opportunity to do a Cheshbon nefesh and to try to say, uh, in broad, general terms, I suffer because of, uh, of my sins and, if I, and I have to improve. 
And that is certainly the traditional response to tragedy. You're right, the Refertzag, even as late as, even as late as 1945, I don't know how much information he had about the, the total numbers, but as late as 1945, Refertzag was still willing to say that, the, that that's a very insightful point. Refertzag was still willing to say that the correct Jewish response to the Holocaust is fasting and is fasting and tshuva, as per the Rambam and as per traditional sources. Is is there a notion that it has to be bounded either by a specific time or a specific event, or just that it's not boundless? Um, for example, what 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 are you, what, what, what are you so getting at? So you could say Tafshin Nun, you could say the year Tafshin. We've seen that with Rabbeinu Gershom, or, or, or what, what Rupertzak was proposing, versus saying that the, uh, the, the Tzomot are going to end when the Mashiach comes. Right, so, so Rupertzak seems to be vacillating a little bit on that point, because initially he proposes that the justification of the Arba Tzomot and the justification of Yom HaShoah would be that it's implicitly until Mashiach comes. And then when, when, when he suggests uh, when he suggests uh, improving it, he says we should, we should make it both explicit and he says we should make it the earlier of the two because we should have either Mashiach or a specific year, which sounds like he's at least alluding to the possibility that such an open-ended uh, uh, such an open-ended not totally defined point of Mashiach maybe you know, wouldn't be entirely sufficient. So he does seem to be implying that it would be better to have an upper limit, uh, a hard, uh, fixed upper limit. But he's not entirely clear on that point. So I'm not sure. Great. Thank you.